0: have it. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Come on. Hey, this works now, so this is exciting. Um, Hey, when we started this series on Romans, I I let you guys know that um, what we're going to be talking about here is, you know, some really deep theological truths and that at times it was going to be difficult for us to get out of our head and to get this information into our hearts, which then, you know, gets it to our feet and our actions and how we live our life but that was is going to be the challenge, that um, this isn't just stuff that we think about and we say, wow, that sounds really amazing. But it's got to, it's got to meet us at our, at our heart level. And so this morning, because we've been kind of covering what I think has been some pretty heavy stuff uh, for a while, I wanted to create a little bit of space here in the beginning of our service for some people um, just to kind of share some stories of how um, this information for you has, has maybe, you know, brought about some new thoughts, some new attitudes, some new behaviors, and then maybe even how you've begun to apply that in some way to your life and what, what change uh, maybe has taken place, if not you know, actual, maybe just at least in your perspective on things. And so we're actually just going to give some time. I'm going to bring the microphone around if you'd like to share. Now, the wrong question to be asking yourself right now is, do I want to do this? The right question to be asking is, would I be willing to allow God to maybe use something that I've learned or part of my story to be a blessing to somebody else. Okay, so this is really isn't about you and whether you really want to stand up and share something in the microphone. It's, could your story be an encouragement to somebody else? Um, so, the floor is open. Um, it, would anybody like to just talk about, hey, this is how this information has been meaningful to me and what it's meant for me in the past few weeks? Anybody that like to get the ball rolling? Or else I can call on you. Just kidding. This is going to be really awkward for those listening at home on the internet when they have these long pauses of silence in between these times. So, Devin Kearns, thank you. Your check will be in the mail. I appreciate that.
1: Hello. So, um, part of Romans for me was just the whole idea of just how um, depraved we really are. And we hate that word. I hate it. Um, But I'd had a little exercise one morning. I spent an hour and tried to come up with something that I have done that didn't have a self-fulfilling part to it. I got something out of it. And it was hard. So for an hour, I sat there, and I thought, let's see. I had kids. Well, but I thought that would be good for me. And I got married, but once again, thought that would be good. Chased after some jobs. And so I really tried to even worked in Young Life, donated time at the noise home, and I found it really hard to come up with something that I've done that didn't have an agenda that served a purpose for myself. And so that is just a truth that I've kind of started to set in and try to... Um, deal with, that come to grips with, that most things I do are self-centered. So that's the, that's the one side of it. The other is the whole idea that in spite of all of that, that I am loved by a God so strongly that he can see past that. And so that's kind of the, the, the duality of it. So to come to grips with who I am, but then also come to grips with um, who God is in the midst of that, and what are the ramifications of that? So that's kind of where I'm at. i um, just dealing with some of that.
0: Thank you. That was great. That's good. See, Devin's still—he's still alive. It's okay. Thank you, Ron. Um,
2: from last week's sermon, um, the the picture that Bob drew. Um, of the two fields that are divided by the one road that's the thing that's really been sticking in my mind all all this week and if you weren't here last week I definitely recommend going back and listening to last week's sermon but it's pretty much that on one on this field you know one side is kind of Satan's domain the other side is God's domain with a road dividing it to which Satan can't come over on the other side now we can hear what he is saying though he he can still communicate with us whether it's you know he has a bullhorn and he's screaming at you to do something you know is not what God wants you to do or at least for me it's usually that little kind of whisper that little tickle you you feel in your ear when you're kind of your your guard is down and you hear Satan just kind of like do this do this do this and it's not very pronounced but it's just it's there and it hits you at your weakest moment and so I've just kind of been sitting with that that you know the other thing that, that you kind of followed up with that is that we give Satan too much power. We give him too much credit, and I know I've been guilty of that in my life. It's just like, man, this is something I'm struggling with. I can't defeat it, and it's just he, Satan has me convinced that, yes, this is above what I can do, and I'm not giving God enough credit, giving Satan too much power. So that's kind of what I've been wrestling with but but just the image of the two fields in the road is just something that I, I'm I'm not gonna forget that I'm a very visual person and that's something that I can picture probably for the rest of my life. So that's okay. good stuff.
0: Good. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Randy It's on.
3: It's on. It's ready. Okay um Bob said some things last week that um, really affected me deeply. Um, He spoke about spiritual warfare. And um, he said, if um, I believe in my heart that I'm a Christian, then why am I not reading the spiritual principles that I need to live by so that I can learn them and take them from my head to my heart? And that really touched me deeply because I look at myself and I'm like, Man, I have that other side of the field that yells at me all the time, and I have God protecting me from acting out on the thoughts that go on inside of my head, but I know the wonderful things that Jesus Christ has done in my life. Why am I not following this to a closer path, and yet believing totally to walk in that vein, and this is something that I'm putting in my head, because it truly is spiritual warfare for me, and I love it that Bob comes out and openly and honestly makes me look in the mirror at myself and what am I doing? What am I doing? How am I serving Jesus Christ? How am I carrying the message? And this is something that um, I'm putting more into focus with my lab groups and the things that I'm doing in life. And I thank Bob for bringing these to our attention. Thanks.
0: Thanks. Anybody else? Yeah, sure. I think um, this scripture that you've been. uh, I don't want to stand up. This scripture. (laughs) Okay, I'll stand up. But you're going to do it, right? I guess I am. (laughs) My husband's over here elbowing me. I think just bringing uh, the scripture to life for for me, in that um, witnessing when um, evil is after us
1: and paying attention to that and just ignoring it and going on with what we need to do. And Kit's been real
0: good about reminding me about as well about um, how we have the victory and every day and all the things that the devil's after us every day. He's after us constantly, especially when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And this, this scriptures really speaks to me in that as well. Kind of what you are saying, Randy, too. And Rob, kind yeah. of the same idea. Got
4: time for me. One more. Yeah, yeah. I'm, sure. well, I'm sorry. I wasn't here last week, but I'm usually here. Um, no. But, um, well, I've just been re-examining a lot of the decisions I've made over the past part of my life, you know, and how allowing—well, um, you just say unhealthy and unholy choices, you know, uh, around people, events, you know, um, entertainment programming. I mean, yeah. decisions, generally speaking, it's so easy to walk, you know, on the wrong side of the of the track when you're. You know, just blindly going down, following the crowd or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of been looking back over a lot of things that I've chosen. I decided to make some decisions. Mm -hmm. For one, to forgive myself about a lot of things that I did. And for another thing, to um, allow God to forgive me and to try to work to make better choices, have better friendships. I got to examining some of the friends, so-called friends that I had in my life in my past you know, marriage and partners and things like that, and I'm like, well, that was just crazy. It's wonderful. I survived. (laughs) Why did I do that? So anyway, Mm -hmm. that's basically what I've been doing for it, knowing that God is in control and that I can trust him as long as I follow and obey what I've been told to do.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you. And guys, like what we talked about, I thank you for those folks that, that shared, um, you know, all, the, all that really matters is, is whether we're changing or not, whether, we're, whether this truth is, is becoming a part of our lives. When we get, you know, and in the end, God's not going to ask us how much we know. He's going to ask us how much we've, we've lived, and that's what's going to make a difference in, in people's lives and in this world. Um, I've been doing some thinking this week about why so many people who have started a journey with Christ... Um, when I look at their lives, I would not describe their lives as being victorious. And they're settling for, uh, for something far less than, I think, what God has for them. And I look around and I'm, I'm asking myself, why are so many Christians discouraged? Why is there such, uh, I think, sometimes just a lack of joy that people are caught in cycles of brokenness um, that they can't seem to, to break free from? Why do so many find, why do so many Christians find so much more comfort in the things of this world? than they do in an intimate relationship with their Savior. And I think part of the answer to that for many of us is that the gospel that we've been told, the story of Christ, is just incomplete. Wherever you may have heard that story for the first time, whether it was in church or at Young Life or some camp experience that you had, probably your first story of the gospel that you heard was this basic idea that you're a sinner and that you need to be saved. And for a lot of us, you know, I know for me, when I was in high school and I heard that message, I mean, that makes sense. I, I could see that, that I was, I had these sinful patterns in my life, that I was self-centered and all these other things, prideful, and, um, and so it made sense that, that I needed somebody to come and save me, that I couldn't do that on my own. And so I embraced that message, and it felt good to be loved that deeply, and while all of that is true, it certainly isn't the full story. As I've said before, the, the, the cross didn't become the, the uh, primary symbol of Christianity until the 4th century. So for the first 300 years uh, of the Christian movement in the world, it was the resurrection that was the rallying cry for people. That's what they talked about, the power that we had at our disposal because of Jesus conquering death and, and he said, when I, when I conquer death and when I go to be with my Father, I'm going to send you a part of me, my Holy Spirit, that's going to be in you, that's going to give you the power to do whatever I call you to do. And, and that's what the rallying cry became. So the question is, you know, when, when, when we look at, for instance, when we look at the book of Acts, which is kind of the story of the, first, of the church kind of taking off after Jesus has gone up into heaven and he's left it to the people here on earth we look at that story I think sometimes we think why is that not what my life looks like you know why do I hear these stories of these guys going and healing people and and standing up and giving a sermon and three thousand five thousand people coming to know Christ that day or seeing the way in which some of these people handled persecution and trials but but stayed faithful that sometimes even to the point of death like why do we not see those things or why am I not experiencing at least in my life maybe we hear about it on the news or other places Where is the power gone? Why aren't more Christians filled with the sense of joy, the sense of victory that they could have in life? Why are so many in the church getting divorced? Why are so many enslaved to sin? Why are so many going through the motions of their faith, living a life that honestly is hardly discernible between the people that you meet out in the world? Last week, Paul began building our identity. Who are we really as followers of Christ? And what did people fail to tell us when we began our Christian faith that's maybe left us with a little bit of an incomplete story about exactly who we are in Christ? So I want you to open your Bibles up to uh, Romans 6, where we kind of left off last week, page 784. And last week we covered uh, the first seven verses. And in those early verses in chapter six, a, a few truths emerged that we kind of really sunk into there. The first was that, um, you know, Paul told us we are dead to sin as followers of Christ. And we talked about the illustration that, that Rob shared about these two fields that we've been transported from the field or the reign of death. Over into the, the field or the reign of grace. And like he said, that we're, we're in a place now where the enemy can't touch us, but he can, he can yell at us across the road and he can derail us from the life we should be living if we're willing to give him that permission to do so. The second really important point that we talked about last week was that you find in verse 5 is that we've been united with him In his death, and we've also been united with him in his resurrection. And Paul talked about the symbolism of baptism, that 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 symbolizes us going underwater, that we are united with him in his death and coming up out of that, that we are united with him in his life, and this idea that in God's eyes we are one with Jesus. And so if we are one with a person who is sinless and spotless and perfect then how can we continue to live a life of sin? That would be going against who we are. But we all know how frail our faith can be, how easily we can give into temptation or distraction or the lies uh, that the enemy wants to plant in us about what our true identity is. a well, day I want to pick it up in verse 8. It says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death can no longer have mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So here's a brief summary from Paul once again of a lot of the same things that we talked about last week. He says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. See, there's, there's two parts of the story here. That is, there's the first part of that story that we are free from the power of sin and death, that it's no longer our, our master anymore, but there is an abundant life available to us here on earth. So in other words, we are not just people who are forgiven, who are just kind of waiting for heaven. We are victors, pushing back the gates of hell in our own life and pushing back the gates of hell in the world around us. That God's desire is to use us to usher in his kingdom now. Not just kind of bide our time until we get to go hang out with him and everything's perfect there. The whole book of Romans thus far has been setting us up for verse 11. At, to this point, Paul hasn't asked the Romans to do anything. It's all been about explaining the doctrine, the the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. And I say basic, but they're really complicated at times too. But he's been building a case. And the reason why he hasn't told them to do anything yet is this, is that you can't really skip to the application and practice part of what we're learning unless you really understand what it is you believe. Because if you just go and try to apply things that you're kind of a little shady on, you're not really sure you understand it, then whatever it is that you're living out or proclaiming may be filled with a lot of false things or maybe just some really incomplete messages. And all of us do it in our faith. We all step out in kind of what we think we know. But sometimes we can look back now and say, well, man... Like, I was telling people to do that, and that's not even really that right, <laughs> you know? As, as, as we mature and we get older and we understand the gospel more and more. So it's important for us to be constant students, because we don't understand what we believe. We end up settling for less. We end up communicating a lesser gospel to people, a gospel that might lack some power and some truth, that that's really important for people, and that's what a lot of us have been doing. So let's look at this verse 11, and we're really going to sit on this verse the rest of the time today. Paul says, In the same way, in the same way as what he just said, Christ died once and for all, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And, guys, this is one of the most important verses for you to understand in Scripture. And I I remember the day that I was sitting down with this guy that's kind of mentored me, and we were studying Romans, gosh, probably eight or nine, ten years ago. I remember where I was. We were in the Burger King in Platte City. where all truth, you know. (laughs) It's the only place you can really find truth. Make a pilgrimage there, okay? But I remember just for the first time being like, oh, that's what that means. And he starts off, and he says, in the same way. Just like Jesus died to sin and was resurrected to life, listen to this. What is true of him is true of us. What is true of him is true of us. Say that with me aloud. What is true of him is true of us. Okay? Last week we talked about that we are one with him. Paul put it like this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, that's Paul identifying himself and understanding that I died with Christ, and I don't live any longer. He lives in me. I'm one with him. And so Paul says this, He says, count yourselves. Or another translation says, consider yourselves. Consider yourselves dead to sin. As we mentioned last week, this is what Paul is getting at. Believe that you are dead to sin despite what your experience may be telling you. Despite whether you feel like you're dead to sin or not. It is a spiritual reality. So because it is true because sin no longer has mastery over us or power over us, and we are alive to God, then believe it. Count yourselves dead to it. Count yourselves, consider that it's true for you. Not just other people, but you. I used to love to high jump. Why is that funny? Maybe it's because I'm short and white and I'm a distance runner. Okay, but really, in in high school and in college, I used to love to just go out and practice high jump, and um, I finally, my senior year of track, I talked my coach into letting me high jump in a JV meet, okay, and uh, I actually got third. It's pretty exciting, and I was actually able to get to where I could clear five foot eight, which is how tall I am, so I was like, man, that's pretty exciting. I can jump my height, okay, okay. So, but if you would have put the bar at ten feet and I could have I could have woken up every morning and every day, you know, just give myself positive self-messages about I could do this, I've worked hard, you know, I've trained for this, you know, and if I just believe enough, I can I can go clear that ten foot bar. But the reality is, guys, that it was never going to happen, right? I'm never going to high jump ten feet. And guys, this is not what God is asking us to do here. We're not trying to talk ourselves into the reality that we're dead to sin but alive to Christ. God's not saying, I want you to get up every morning and say, Bob, you're dead to sin. Come on, man, you can do this. You know, just read a little bit more, pray a little bit more, try a little bit harder and you'll never sin again. That's not what he's communicating. He's saying, Bob, you've already cleared the 10-foot bar. You've already conquered the, the impossible not because of what you've done but because of what Christ did. And guess what? You are one with him, and so you've done it too. Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's the key word, guys. It's the secret to belief. I want you to look at verse 11. And I want you to tell me what word comes before Christ Jesus. What's the word? in it doesn't say by Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus it says in Christ Jesus and as we're going to read Paul says that a lot and so we know it wasn't just well this one time he just picked this word or the translators whatever no it's it's translated that word a lot many times so why is that important that it's in and not by or through Raise your hands. We're in class. Why is that so important? Yeah, kid. Because you're a new creature in Christ, if the Holy Spirit indwells you, behold all things have become new. And so that Galatians scripture is one of my favorites mm-hmm. because it puts me in perspective as to what God's desire is. I may not always feel like I'm in that spot, but I know what God's and trust in the word of God to bring me to where he wants me to be. Okay, good. If it, had, if it had been by or through Christ Jesus, what would that mean? Yeah, thank you. Yes. Okay, in implies oneness, right? That, that I was in this, I'm in this with you, you know? If it's by or through, it's just something that Jesus did that doesn't really include us. He he does it for us. But the fact that it's in means we were a part of this, okay? John 15, if you've read this passage, you're pretty familiar with it. It's the whole one about the vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. He says, He is the vine. We are the branches. We are connected to Him. Okay, so when we come into relationship with Christ, we're not this disconnected branch that then gets duct taped around the Jesus tree. Okay? It says that we are grafted in to the vine. We are a part of him. We are one with Christ. And guys, this is the only religion in the world that makes this claim. Muslims don't say you are in Muhammad. Buddhists don't say you are in Buddha. And that's why as as Christians... We have this opportunity to have victory and power now, not just something we're waiting for, some paradise when we die, but because we are in Christ, we have the ability to have some, some abundance, some life now the way God designed us to be. And the reason is, is because God has made his home in us. Look at this verse in John fourteen twenty three. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him And we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is telling his disciples, I've got to go, but I'm going to send my spirit. And that spirit, when you were with me on earth, when the disciples were with Jesus, they were just walking alongside Jesus. They were with Jesus. Now he says, I'm going to be in you. That's totally different, isn't it? Walking alongside next to somebody or having that person in you. The benefit of that, I think, would be much more amazing. God himself dwells in our hearts. So how could we ever say, I can't? How could we ever say it's not possible? If the almighty, all-powerful God of the universe is in me, all things are possible. I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength, as Paul says, right? Guys, this verse isn't telling me to accomplish anything. This verse isn't telling me to go accomplish something. It's already been done. It's just a reality that we have to step into and believe. It's already happened. This verse tells me more about what my position is. You don't earn being a child of a king. A a prince or a princess might not feel special. But the reality is, is that they are they, they were born to rule, and that's what they're going to do. And it, it may have been a gift granted to them that they didn't earn, but it's a reality. They are unique. They are different. And we struggle to believe that these truths are true about us because so often we look at things through these worldly, finite, imperfect eyes of ours and minds of ours. And so we look at these things that God says are true about us, and we're just like, well, how can that be? Guys, we've talked about some stories. We talked about one last week. We talked about Abraham, and God came to Abraham, you remember, and he was kind of the father of the Jewish nation, and he was married to his wife, Sarah, and they had no kids, and he said, through you, I'm going to bless the world, and he's like, well, how? We don't have any children. He said, look up in the sky and count the stars. Your descendants are going to be this many. And he says, I'm going to give you a son, Abraham. And Abraham is 99 and his wife is 90 and they don't have any kids. And and they had to believe that what God was saying was true because it didn't make sense. And God comes to Noah and he says, Noah, I want you to build a big freaking boat. And I'm going to make it rain so much that the whole world is going to be flooded. And I want you to make this boat big enough that two of every animal in the world can fit inside there. And so you can imagine Noah building this boat day after day after day when it's not raining and all of his neighbors are like, you know, what are you doing? And he's like, well, God told me to make this boat. And he had to believe it. It didn't make any sense. And then later on, you see the angel comes to Joseph and Mary and says, hey, insignificant peasants who aren't married and have never had sex, Mary's gonna be pregnant. And here's the thing, Your kid's going to be the savior of the world. And they had to believe it was true. They had to have faith. And guys, the thing that's so important for us to remember is is to not overlook the fact that these were ordinary people like you and me. They weren't superhuman, superhero humans because God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's a beautiful thing when somebody who is weak and frail and filled with doubt and fear like me and you can believe something and God can say, "Man, I made that possible through that sucker." <laughs> Imagine what I could do with somebody who really had some faith, right? And guys, here's the question that God has for us this morning. I want you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 11, page 722. This is the famous story of, of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is his friend of Jesus. He has sisters, Mary and Martha, that we're pretty familiar with from other stories too. And so word gets to Jesus that Lazarus has died. He's been buried in a tomb. I want to start on verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that's some faith, isn't it? But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who was to come into the world. Do you believe this? God is asking us to believe that we are who he says we are. And that if we can, that we might have a better chance at having the life that he has planned for us. Which is very different than the life we settle with when we settle for the lies. You believed me for your salvation. Now do you believe me for your transformation? Because I didn't come just to save you. I came to change you. And you need to trust me for that too. Do you believe that I will make you like my son Jesus, even on days when you don't feel like it, even on days when you feel like maybe you're going backwards, (laughs) that I am committed to you, to transforming you? Not only are we a dead to sin, but we are alive to God. We are in a position of favor for God. We're no longer enemies of his. We're no longer, you know, people of, of, that he has a wrath for. But now he calls this child when we're in relationship with him. And today I want to finish up, if you want to flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, page 811. He explains this whole idea really well here. Ephesians 2, page 811. Look at verse 1. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Look at that. In Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages. He might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Express, expressed in his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus. Guys that is your position. Dear saints. Whether we believe it or not. We are one with Christ. We are spiritually seated with Jesus right now in the heavenly realms. And God who sees all eternity, listen to me. Focus here. This is really important. God who sees all eternity laid out before him sees us right now in our glorified state sitting in heaven with christ he already sees us like that he already knows what our true identity is he can see it you know if you knew your best friend was going to be president in five years how would that change how you treat your best friend you'd be like dude man read some books you know (laughs) study up on some foreign policy here don't you know who you're going to be in five years come on you know, we wouldn't allow our friend to just kind of be unemployed and playing video games and like too much is at stake, right? God's the same way. It's like, I know who you are. You are like, you're a saint. You're in heaven. You're sitting there with Jesus right now. I see your glorified state. Stop settling for less than the life you're living currently. You have so much more potential. You're a child of the king. You're going to rule and reign with me forever. That's who you are. Live like it. Believe it. And he says he wants to show us his incomparable riches and his continued kindness towards us. And he wants us to believe in who we are and stop settling for a lesser life. Stop settling for the defeated life, the distracted life, the distant life from God and from others. And guys, that's the choice we have every single day when we wake up. Either we're gonna believe that that is true, that that's who we are, that is the power living inside of us to conquer whatever challenges that we might face, from without or from within, every single day, or we're going to believe the lie and settle for something less. And either way, God says, you know what? (laughs) No matter how much you embrace one of these things, you might get into heaven. Paul uses this illustration in Corinthians where he says, you know, you're going to get in, but it'll be like the flames are licking you as you cross the line. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to go in that way. He says that all things are going to be, I always picture it like a conveyor belt, and all the things that we do in life are going to be put on this conveyor belt, and at the end there's going to be this fire, and the things that were just done, like Devin was talking about, just through our selfish nature, are going to be burned up like straw, and they're not going to count for anything eternally. And all those things that were done from the right motives, from the right heart for God are going to last, and they're going to have eternal significance. And you know what? I want as many of the things that I do with my life on that conveyor belt to be used for His glory forever. And not just be like, well, that was a big waste of time. (laughs) I want to get there and I want to say, I want him to look at me and say, well done. Well done. Not necessarily because of what I've done, but well done just to believe that you are who I said you were. Because if we get up every day and we do that, and that's the lens in which we see the world and God and others, then man, that changes everything. It changes our perspective on everything when we believe we are who God says we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is just, it's beyond comprehension, Lord, that, that our spiritual reality right now is that we are seated with Christ. And that you see that. You see our glorified state. You see the best of who we could be. You see us as one with Jesus. Jesus. And so I'm sure it's really puzzling sometimes and frustrating for you to kind of look down and be like, why are they doing that again? Why are they settling for less than what I have for them? Why won't they believe how powerful they are? Why won't they tap into that spirit inside of them that I've given them that is the answer to, to every frustration and struggle that they're having in life? God, help us to to not allow the enemy to rob us of the abundance that you have for us, the joy that you have for us, God, the peace, the grace, the love, all those things that you bring and you want to offer us. And Lord, all those things that you want us to offer others. Because when we don't believe in who we say we are, other people suffer because of that. Other people we could be blessing suffer so it's not just about whether we're receiving it or not. It's also, God, that, that we can't be as much of a blessing in this world as you want us to be. So God, help us daily to wake up and just rejoice in that the fact that we've been forgiven, that we've been transported into this realm of grace, that you've done it, that we are one with you, and God, we live from that reality. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I well, want stand with us as we close today.